Okay, uh, we may still have a few stragglers come on, but uh, it looks like we're uh, more or less stabilized here. So let me jump right in. Um, of course, many of you are old faithfuls and attend most of our meetings. And so you know the format. We try to tell you what we've accomplished since the last month's call, what the things that we're actively working on and what's teed up, you know, coming up for us, and then give you a chance to tell us, you know, what whatever you want to tell us, good or bad, we want to hear it all. That's how we get better. Um, so let me start off with an update on our high trust certification. We submitted by the end of December, we had submitted all of our evidence for the assessment. Uh, we have gotten feedback from high trust that out of the nearly 300 different assessment elements, they want additional evidence of controls for nine. So we're working on um, providing the additional information that they've requested for those nine assessment elements. And hopefully we will be hearing soon, very soon, I hope, um, the results of our high trust assessment, which we have every reason to believe will uh, result in, in certification, but more to come as we get the details. Uh, related to high trust, we are still accepting applicants for our security manager position. Uh, we've gotten some good resumes. We're starting in on interviews, but if any of you know of somebody that you think would just be an absolutely excellent candidate to work for DEN as a security manager, our position posting is on the DEN website, so DEN.org. Uh, you could go there to find particulars for anybody that you'd like to recommend for this position. Uh, we continue our work with public health around the whole COVID thing, uh, and I've described on previous calls uh, a lot of the work that we're doing, so I won't go into terrific detail again today other than to say we are actively working with public health on their contact tracing work. There, there's just ongoing improvements and um, iterations of that, so uh, you know, a, a lot of work still going on there. We have received a couple of requests from public health for additional assistance in enriching the data that they already have with data that we have, including anyone who is actively hospitalized at the time that they uh, would otherwise be doing contact tracing they would like to know that the patient is in the hospital so that they don't call somebody who is not at home. <laughs> um, it looks a little odd if, uh, you know, you call to say, you've been a contact of somebody with, with, uh, with COVID, and they say, yeah, uh, in the hospital. <laughs> so the other thing that they've asked our help with is enriching immunization data with race and ethnicity. I'm sure everybody's aware that it's a politically sensitive matter right now, making sure that disadvantaged communities are getting their fair share of the vaccine. And typically, uh, race and ethnicity is not reported as part of a VXU message. And so it's not in the Delvax registry. And they've approached us to ask if we could help them um, with that. So we're certainly very willing to do so. Uh, obviously, the devil's in the details when it comes to the, you know, the technology 
black magic that goes on to make that happen. But we're we're certainly standing by, ready and willing to help uh, with, with that effort. A word about our personal health record. I think many of you are aware that public health has asked for our help in using DIN's personal health record as a vehicle for providing people with the results of their COVID testing, especially testing that is done at the state lab where there tends to be more of a backup than some of the other testing locations. And so we've been doing that now for several months. We have nearly 18,000 enrolled patients, which is pretty encouraging because we were, we spent four years and still weren't at a thousand. <laughs> and now in just a matter of months, we're up to 18,000. So um, clearly it's a matter of finding the right use case. And it looks like we may have found it. But I will mention also in connection with our consent management tool that I've discussed, and I've got a little bit more to say about that shortly. We believe that the PHR can be the channel whereby patients are able to directly themselves without having to go through their healthcare provider, they can directly themselves complete consent registration to let us know what data they want shared and with whom they want it shared. So we're, I'll be saying a bit more about that in a moment. Do want to say a word about our SFTP server replacement. As I've shared with you on previous monthly calls, and I think um, the team has also shared in project manager meetings and in other settings, we were planning for an SFTP migration to the cloud all along, but the company that is hosting our current server has rather abruptly served us notice that they will no longer be providing that support as of the end of March. And so it forced us to accelerate our plans to, uh, to migrate that. We are actively working with all of our customers that will be impacted by that move. We believe we're on track to get it done by the end of March, but there is definitely still significant work ahead. And we're very conscious of the fact that it will also impact our customers who use that, uh, that service or that tool. And it's got to fit into your work plans and your work schedule as well as ours. So there's significant coordination and timing that remains, but this is a hard deadline. It is imposed on us by an external vendor and we don't have the luxury of extending it. So we've, we've got to get this done by the end of March. So another word now about our consent management tool. I've been sharing right along that one of our organizational goals that the board set for DEN this fiscal year was to have a consent management tool implemented and in production by the end of this fiscal year, which of course is the end of June for us. I've been sharing with you right along that DIN has been collaborating with our sister HIEs from Maryland and Arizona on the development of an open source consent management tool. 
And we're very happy to have been a part of that collaboration. And we were planning all along on that was going to be what we implemented. But um, it turns out that the, the technology under the hood was go- going to require levels of engagement by several of our vendors and multiple touch points where the consent information had to be synchronized and maintained. And our prime vendor, uh, Medicasoft, came to us and said, we think we can help you with this and do it in a simpler way that will not involve other vendors and will be easier to maintain in the long run, especially when you start moving to very granular consent. And so they gave us a proposal that we looked at and said, wow, yeah, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's do it your way. So we, we have made the decision to make a bit of a change. It won't change certain things from, from the end user perspective. It will not change the fact that we will be doing this in phases. The first phase, which we expect to have live by the end of June, will be what's called basic consent. And it's still not at a granular level. We will be looking at, at two is consent levels, basically. It will be for part two data, meaning substance use disorder data that is covered by 42 CFR part two um, regulations. Part two data will be either a global, you may share my data with everyone involved in my care, or do not share my data with anybody, right? And then we were, it was going to be that way with the CRISP tool as well. So that's one. And then the other is, and all of my other clinical data, uh, they will either opt in with letting their other clinical data be searchable or not be searchable, which is basically what we have right now, right? But it'll just be put into a consent tool that can actually be managed by the patient themselves. In fiscal year 22, we do expect to do additional work with Medicasoft to enhance this management tool so that it will manage consent at a very granular level and say, I want this doctor, but not this doctor, or this organization, but not that organization to have access to my part two data. And, um, and, and the patient will be able to mediate that directly themselves through the PHR that we make available to them. So we, that's really what, you know, that, that's the end game is we need to get it down to that really granular level of consent. We, we are still debating whether we want to include a provider mediated consent. With the CRISP tool, that was going to actually be phase one. It would initially be done um, through the provider and then later on they would add patient mediated consent. And that was because of the three collaborating HIEs, DEN was the only one that had a PHR. The other two states didn't. So for them, it would have been very significant new development to stand up some patient facing or consumer facing tool. Um, Now that we've kind of broken out of that collaborative, uh, we've said, you know, we all along wanted the patient to be able to do this for themselves. And so we've got the tool that enables that. Now the question is, is there additional value in also providing a pathway for provider mediated consent management? 
And I'd be interested in feedback from any of you on this call as to your thoughts on that. Um, we may really need to pulse the practices, but you know, we're, we're gonna be seeking feedback on whether there's still, if the patients can do it for themselves, is there any reason why we would want to include the capability for it to be done in the provider's office through the assistance of the provider? We'll be interested in the feedback we get as we go exploring that. So that's kind of where we are now with the consent management tool. We still fully expect to have it live by the end of June. And this is really important for us because as I've shared uh, in last month's call, we have executed a contract with DSAM, the Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health. They will become a data sender to DIN. And their data is a lot of part two data. And so we've got to have the, uh, the consent tools in place to be able to manage that um, according to the legal privacy requirements. So pretty critical. Also, I think uh, many of you may be aware that 2019, fiscal year 2019, was the year that DIN was up for review by the Joint Legislative Oversight Committee, uh, fondly known as the Sunset Committee. And we did receive a recommendation to, um, to retain DIN, which aren't we all relieved. But out of that work came five proposed legislative updates that ordinarily would have been introduced in uh, FY20, and we all know what happened in 2020, <laughs> and a lot of things that would normally have happened just didn't happen, and uh, so the introducing these bills was included in that. We have just this week gotten word from Sunset Committee that they are ready to start introducing those bills. So we're not sure exactly the timing of when each one will, you know, hit committees and start working its way through the whole legislative um, sausage machine, um, but, but it should be very, very soon. So stay tuned. There should be some legislation coming out that should strengthen DIN and give us at least authority for uh, additional work that would be of value to, to the state. So more to come there. We also are continuing to work with our counterparts in Pennsylvania on a data exchange agreement between DIN and Pennsylvania. I think some of you are aware that we have had a very limited data exchange agreement with HSX, which is the HIE in Pennsylvania that covers the greater Philadelphia area. Pennsylvania actually has five different HIEs and P3N is sort of a global authority over all of them. And without going into all of the details about how they interact with each other and what their overall governance is, we were able to meet with P3N, the global um, governing body, a few months ago to explore could we do a, a broader exchange that covers not only six emergency departments in the greater Philadelphia area, but all of Pennsylvania? If the patient lives in Delaware and gets 
some or most of their care in Delaware, we, we should have that data. And ditto, if a patient lives in Pennsylvania and gets most or all of, of their care there, that you should have the data. And we were able to convince them that, look, here's how many people are in our MPI with Pennsylvania addresses. This is data you're not getting. Oh, okay, well, now there's something in it for them. So I think we're finally, maybe, serious about getting some exchange going with Pennsylvania. We're working our way through the legal language and I don't, I have not seen anything that I think is insurmountable. Uh, They sound like they're eager to let's get it moving. Let's make it happen. So I don't know, Scott, is Scott on the call? He may not have been able to join us. I was going to ask if he knew anything more than I do. No, I don't believe he's on the call, Jan. All right. Um, All right, then we'll just let that go with that. And I think I also shared last time around that we have, we're aware of a federal grant opportunity that will be made available to all of the states to either stand up or significantly improve their all-payer claims database. So for us, the, the healthcare claims database. It will be a two and a half million dollar grant over three years. And we are just chomping at the bit, waiting for detailed information on how you apply, what the, you know, what the application form will be, what the process will be, what the timing will be, et cetera, et cetera. But it's supposed to begin with federal fiscal year 22, which starts in October. So timing is short for them to get all of that figured out. And I'm sure that the new administration has had a lot of other things to work their way through before tackling this one. Um, but if it's, if it's going to happen on the timeline that they projected in the legislation, uh, they gotta get moving on it pretty soon. So we're pretty excited about that because it will come with some significant funding support for our claims database and will really give us the opportunity to expand and improve it in some some important ways. Um, There will be an expectation of public reporting of various things and making data sets available at low cost or no cost under certain conditions. So we're really excited and ready to get moving as soon as the details come out on exactly how that will work. Finally, we continue to work with Maestro Strategies on the development of our new five-year strategic plan. We are down now to the level of planning out specific projects and sequencing them over over the five-year period. The plan will be presented to our board of directors on our April 21st board meeting. So that is coming right up. And uh, hopefully they, they have had, of course, opportunity along the way to provide input. So there shouldn't be any surprises and I don't anticipate any negative reaction when the final plan is presented to the board for board approval. But that is, um, that's just a month away. So there we are on that. 
that's uh, the main stuff on our plate these days. We are continuing to work with a number of our individual stakeholders and customers on specific projects that are relevant to your own organizations. I don't usually talk about those in detail at the town hall because they're not of general interest to the entire community, uh, but certainly it's work that keeps our team uh, busy and that's okay, that's why we get paid. <laughs> so, so it's good. Uh, and I assure you that we, have, we are in no danger of running out of things to do. So that said, it's your turn. So I open the floor to any questions or any feedback, good or bad, that you may have for us. Okay, I'm gonna take it that there's no questions and no feedback. I hope no feedback means you love us. <laughs> if you don't, I sure wish you'd tell us what we can do better. Jan, this is Stephanie. I um, did put a question in the chat when you were talking oh, about the consent okay. management tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just curious, I just wanna make sure the DMOST um, registry and the, the consent process there, would that change with the consent management tool? Um, certainly not initially. There, there's no immediate plans to try to integrate those. But I'm glad you brought that up, Stephanie, because it does raise kind of an... You know, there's an opportunity there. There is. So um, we were approached recently by some folks from Christiana. And I, you know, it's a big organization, so you may or may not have been aware of, of, of this conversation. I am, yeah. Okay, uh, but there was discussion about kind of the future of, of DMOST. We elected when we implemented the DMOST registry to work with a company that already had a commercially available tool, and that was Vinca. They have been approaching a number of the hospitals independently of DIN to suggest that maybe the hospitals would want to contract with them directly. And I'm not sure of the whys and the wherefores and the so on, but in the call that we had with, uh, with your colleagues at Christiana Care, you know, our position is there's legislation that authorizes DIN to stand up an electronic registry of DMOS forms, but it doesn't require us to do so. And so we're not married to this. If the workflow for the people who have the greatest interest in using it would be better served doing it a different way, you just tell us, right? But it's a fairly expensive tool. We were able to acquire it through grant funding and we were able to structure the contract so that five years worth of expenses were front loaded and paid for under the grant. But in another year or so, that five-year funding ends and we will either have to renew the contract with Vinca or we will have to not renew it. We can't do it if there's not interest among our stakeholders in paying the ongoing costs. So that was part of the conversation with, you know, Christiana, if you want to do this on your own, you can do that. It, it doesn't have to involve us. If you want DIN to do this on behalf of the whole state and have a centralized registry that, that we, you know, maintain, we will need your funding and we'll need others, you know, to support that as well. So we said, you know, here's the options. We either 
drum up the financial support from stakeholders who value it and want us to keep it. And then we renew the contract with Vinca or you guys go in on your own, just leave us out. We don't have to be involved in that. Or yes, you'd like them to lead this, but maybe we need a different technology solution. So we are exploring the possibility of a different technology solution. Interestingly, we had a conversation quite recently with the Lieutenant Governor who, um, as you may know, leads the Behavioral Health Coalition in Delaware. And one of the things that they are looking at is introducing legislation around a psychiatric advanced directive, particularly for those with psychiatric conditions that are subject to sort of dissociative episodes like schizophrenia and manic depressive disorders so that when an individual is in one of those dissociative episodes and episodically they are not really competent to make decisions about their care, this advanced directive would give them the ability to say, when I'm in one of those episodes, here's what I do and do not want to happen, right? So it's your typical advanced directive, but very explicitly directed at these conditions. And so Lieutenant Governor Hall Long was inquiring of us, could DIM be the repository for these advanced directives? And we said, interesting timing for that question, you know, and I gave her the history of this other and said, we're exploring other alternatives. Uh, We need to price out what the alternatives would be and how quickly they could be implemented. Um, You know, I asked her point blank, is is there funding available as part of your proposed legislation to support standing up something because it'll be new development, there will be costs. She said, I can't answer that if I don't know what the costs are. So that's where that stands right now, Stephanie. We're trying to explore possible other technology approaches to having a registry tool that could be managed through DIN and therefore accessible to all users of our services across the state. But I don't have firm answers yet on on exactly how that'll play out. All right, that's great. Thanks, Jan. Sure, sure. Anybody else? Okay, Um, well, don't hear anything, so Our next town hall is, I believe, April 8th. That's at least the second Thursday of, or Wednesday of April. It's April 14th. April 14th. Oh, okay. Hmm. 14th. All right, then. Uh, So April 14th, uh, hope you will all be able to join us again and have a great week weekend and let us know if there are things that you think of later that you wish you had said while we were all together. Um, You know, pop me an email. I'm always eager to hear from those we serve and uh, learn how we can serve you better. So thanks very much, guys. Talk to you later. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dincast. We'll have more coming in the future, and you can make sure that you get the latest episodes by following The Din on social media. We are on Twitter at DIN underscore HIE, and you can find us on Facebook by simply searching for Delaware Health Information Network. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions about the podcast, 
and maybe have some suggestions about future topics that you would like to hear us discuss, please email us at dincast at din.org. If you would like to learn more about the DIN, please visit us on our website at din.org. Also, please feel free to give our new podcast a like and share it with those you think can benefit from our discussions. Thank you again for joining us, and let's talk again soon.